Hey, you're listening to Peak Speaks podcast put out by The Peak, SFU student newspaper, uh, in collaboration with CGSF 90.1 FM in Burnaby. Um, and we're here on campus and we're going to have a bit of a discussion about cybersecurity, misinformation on the internet, and the general state of our interconnectedness. Hi, I'm your host, Alex Bloom. I'm currently the editor-in-chief at The Peak, SFU student-run newspaper. Um, and apart from my activities there, I'm a communications major at SFU as well as a history minor um, and also an aspiring writer. I hope to uh, continue as a freelance journalist as well as just writing later fantasy and science fiction novels, I hope. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm the photo editor at The Peak in my spare time. I like to take photos and watch videos. I'm Melissa Campos. I am the multimedia editor at The Peak. I'm an interactive arts and technology major as well as an English major and I love filming and editing and all that you know technological jazz. Um, so um, when you hear the internet what do you think of immediately? Silicon Valley. <laughs> I mean social media, Facebook, Instagram, memes. <laughs> memes that's always a ever-present part of it um but yes facebook google like there are these giants of industry now that sort of embody the internet to a lot of people um and it was interesting i just did an interview with richard lee who's the liberal candidate in the burnaby south by-election that's happening right now um and during a, a burnaby south debate he actually mentioned that he thinks the internet should be regulated by the united nations and while that might come across as a very bold statement to a lot of people, um, when you start to look at it, it got me thinking, and there, there is a certain amount of truth to that. Um, John Oliver actually talked recently on his show, Last Week Tonight, um, about how it was actually connected, Facebook was connected with the situation that happened in Myanmar, the genocide there. He mentioned how Facebook became a tool that was used by people to spread hate messages. Um, and just the way that our interconnectedness going unregulated for so long has become a platform for whoever wants it and whether that's for good or bad. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the sort of double-edged sword of media today, the state of it, how accessible it is to people, particularly in terms of cybersecurity, misinformation. And yeah, going off of it, I asked Richard Lee to elaborate on his statement about the UN regulating the internet and social media like Facebook. Um, and of course, naturally, what was brought up is uh, the rumors that the U.S. election was tampered with through electronic means. Apart from just the, the misinformation that can be out there on the internet, it sort of brings us to the other, I think, pressing issue that a lot of students are aware of, which is cybersecurity and identity theft. Um, you know, one big thing that sort of swept through the internet recently was called deep fakes, which was a technology that allowed you to very authentically swap the faces of people to, you know, say, create a video of, I think there was a video put out um, that BuzzFeed ended up sharing where Jordan Peele had been part of creating a video where he had Obama read a speech through this technology, basically, that was actually Jordan Peele talking, but you don't see till the end of the video that, of course, Obama did not actually make any of the statements. But it was so convincing that a lot of people would believe it just looking at the video. Um, so there's a lot of applications that people have talked about with this technology. And you know, how does that make you feel, knowing that there's technology like that out there? I think this kind of technology is definitely becoming more problematic because you see it in the movies. You kind of see... Um, people replacing other actors' faces with the faces of other actors, like, for example, uh, actors who have died or um, 
who weren't available on set, and they do it with all this high-end technology. And the problem now is that it's becoming widely available on apps that are used by people like us, like students. So now it's becoming easier and easier to just steal someone's identity. Um, and, you know, it used to be very difficult. Like, I've worked with After Effects, and even on programs like that, it's hard. It it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of skill. But now the fact that you can just be able to click, you see it on Snapchat and stuff, too. It's already becoming so widely available and in the wrong hands if technology gets to a point where it it becomes crazily easily to be able to do this in the wrong hands it can be super problematic um i know that shane dawson a youtuber did a conspiracy video on this and he mentioned how there was some kind of crazy scenario where if for example you replace donald trump's face saying something you know problematic that could cause some kind of political attack. Um, it can get shared on social media and it can cause real destruction. So if technology gets to that point, which it's getting close to, it could be a serious issue. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, people are already talking about just in terms of very simple methods of like just Facebook posts, creating events, just sharing news stories that maybe haven't been fact checked. That already has the potential to generate so much misinformation and confusion already. And now when we have the ability to create a video where it looks like somebody is saying something that they really didn't say, yeah, it, it is straight up out of a science fiction story, really. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I'm not really even sure if there is uh, like if it's possible for this technology to be like in quote unquote good hands um just because of the nature of what it's doing um it's you know it's obviously it's representing the actions uh and words of someone who didn't actually say that or say or do do those things um so i think uh i know and like the only probably positive example that i can think of right now is just maybe for like I don't know, production houses. Like, I know Charlie XCX and her, one of her recent music videos, um, they didn't have enough time to film her uh, dancing in like five different scenes and outfits. So they just put her face on five different dancers. And I, I think that's relatively harmless. Um, but that's, that's about the only uh, probably. It's not beneficial, but like um, benevolent. Uh, benign. benign, benign. benign. Yeah, benign. that's the only benign <laughs> use case that I can think of for this kind of technology is just like cu uh, cutting costs in, in business situations. But yeah, I don't think that this technology should be used in any sort of way for like communicating actually important messages. Yeah, and I mean, I can only um, think of like maybe stunt doubles might be made more yeah. believable yeah. through yeah. that. That's one way. Um, but you were going to go. Yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I was just going to agree with you, Chris. I mean, they did it in, um, I haven't seen Fast and Furious, but I know that they did it with um, Paul Walker and they replaced his face um, in to an actor's um, in that movie. And I think in that, in those cases, it's okay to have that kind of technology. But in those cases, that technology is also very difficult to use. And it's a lot of time. It's a lot. It costs a lot of money. In apps like deepfakes or other face swapping applications, if technology gets that easy and that advanced, I mean, who knows who's going to be able to do stuff. So I think there's a place for this technology, and I don't think it's in the hands of millions of people with phones. 
And that brings me to another point, which is, you know, who do you think that these apps like deepfakes are really created for? Who's using them? And where is this going to go in the future? Because, you know, one negative thing that I think has been reported with this specific technology of deepfakes is that people were using it to create pornography of celebrities using, you know, a mix of, I guess, existing pornographic videos and images of those celebrities from other places and creating such a convincing convincing image that it could create a scandal out of out of nowhere where you know they yeah. didn't actually engage in anything like that yeah. but it's it's tricking people into believing that mm -hmm. you know? I'm I'm actually not too sure if that like there was an incident where that happened I don't know if they I think they used the combination of After Effects and something else so I don't know if it was directly done with deep fakes but it was done by people who weren't you know people in a studio producing something for a movie so like in an instance like that I mean I don't want to mention who the actress was and who the porn star was just out of consideration but um, it's already happening where these big kind of issues are being abr brought about of privacy and or like of like stealing identities using applications like this and people are actually believing it so while I don't think that these companies are necessarily saying, hey, this is what we're intending for it to be, they probably just intend it for something to be fun, you know? But if it's for something to be fun, does it really need to look all that realistic? Do we really need to get it to a point where you can actually steal someone's identity? And I think that's the problem we're facing. So whether they're intending it or not, I think stuff like this kind of has to stop being released into the public so easily yeah it really does raise the question of like where is it going to go from here mm -hmm. um because we already have you know rumors of elections being you know affected by social media in ways that aren't considered democratic because it's you know potentially not true information that's being put out there or information is being misattributed to people through the internet and then when you create a tool like that it's just like making it a lot easier regardless mm -hmm. of the intention it's mm -hmm. you know I think we have to keep in mind, too, that um, it's not like this technology was developed by some big Hollywood production house and then, like, you know, marketed to the public as this new great thing. I, I, if I recall correctly, it actually started, Deepfakes was a porn thing on Reddit oh. to begin with, and that's where the name came from because the whole reason it's blown up in the public consciousness is because that that one video I think you guys are talking about mm -hmm. featured a, an actress from a very popular movie um, a couple summers ago and that's how it sort of leaked into the public consciousness and I don't know if the Jordan Peele and Obama video came after that but to my knowledge that was the first instance in which the public really started talking mm -hmm. about deepfakes and this technology because that video was created by some guy in his basement. It wasn't like some big company with a million dollar budget. It was just like some some horny bored dude with a lot of time. Oh, that's interesting to note. I w I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, um, I think it's worth noting too that the uh, piece that Jordan Peele created that was partly actually to warn us about mm -hmm. um, how you know we shouldn't really be trusting what we see necessarily on the internet. We need to be approaching with that critical eye, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of just brings us to the question of like should we be pausing and thinking about how far technology is going or could these technological advancements be beneficial for the future uh i think just 
keeping in mind how this whole thing blew up and became released into the public, uh, I think just keeping that in mind should be a big hint for us as to how we regard this um, and how we use this technology because, you know, it's not like it started from a great place to begin with, so obviously we should be uh, moderately skeptical of it uh, however we go forward with it. Yeah, kind of tying into what we were talking about earlier, I think if this kind of technology is available in the right hands, I think it can be beneficial. You know, like in I watch a lot of movies. I like seeing that kind of technology in integrated in there. But again, if we have to put a pause on it because it's getting released into the in the to the general public, then that's exactly what we have to do. It's not worth risking this kind of technology being in the wrong hands. So I think we do as a society need to stop and pause and think about how far technology is going. Um, we're not we're not just seeing it in this kind of privacy area. We're seeing it in a bunch of areas where we're kind of like losing touch of an age without technology. Sort of losing touch with the way that things were like pre-social yeah, media. Yeah, exactly, that. exactly. We're, and now it's just like, okay, we're even losing our sense of privacy. So I think it does need it. And this is coming from somebody who... I, my life revolves around technology. I'm always on a computer, but like it needs, it needs to tone down a little bit. Because yeah, there is that sense of like constant connectedness today, um, and you know that brings with it some some downsides. Even though there's a lot of positive things about being able to coordinate so much more efficiently and just get in touch with people that way, um, and it brings up the question: is like how do we feel that our privacy is being kept? Is it being kept, and how how is that going to be going going forward in the future? Um, you know, right now, everything that you put out there is basically out there forever, mm -hmm. which means that that information is accessible to other people. And it means that if somebody impersonates you and it's convincing, that's also going to be out there sort of irrevocably. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if this technology kind of advances and we say, OK, I'm not going to post any more photos or videos on the Internet. I mean, they're already there. So even if you delete them on Facebook, apparently they still stay, stay there. So like it's going to be problematic. No matter what, the only thing we have we have a chance to stop now is stopping kind of it from going further. And how do we think that could be done? Like, you know, does Richard Lee have a point in saying that maybe the internet, social media, and maybe surrounding technologies should be regulated, perhaps not by the UN, but perhaps by you know local governing bodies? There needs to be maybe more oversight, or maybe within Facebook more accountability. Um, I think. This is a hard one because, uh, yeah, obviously, I think anyone uh, who's seen, you know, like the, the dark side of the Internet can attest to how beneficial some regulation might be. But at the same time, it's harder to say now than ever who should be doing that regulating because I think the public in general has lost a lot of trust in any sort of governing body, especially with, um, you know, as you said earlier, the U.S. election and like, you know, if if Americans if America's government can be hacked, then who really is safe, right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what kind of governing body would be uh, able to regulate the internet in a way that ensures the public's trust. I guess just with platforms, um, like platforms where apps are released too, could have some regulations, like. 
Uh, I don't exactly know what, you know, iTunes apps, what uh, Apple's policy is with putting an app on the App Store. But if larger companies really crack down on what they're allowing to be released to the public through large platforms like that, then that could be a way to start. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, Chris, uh, you make a very good point. It's kind of tough to trust our governments right now to do much about it. But all these companies that deal with technology, they can do something about it. So I think a good place to start would be there. Yeah, and I think that really is the, the question is who, who is it that should regulate this because everything's becoming decentralized. It's just a part of information being out there as being increasingly interconnected regardless of, you know, state boundaries. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I personally think, you know, as maybe ridiculous as it might sound to some people, in an ideal world, something like the UN regulating our Internet would make sense if it's like a sort of global power that's doing it. But realistically, looking at the world right now, I don't know that we have that kind of framework in where, you know, there's an unbiased, you know, sort of board that's going to look at everything and, <laughs> and, you know, keep everybody's interests perfectly in line. I think, yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And another kind of aspect where we need to consider this, too, is, OK, yeah, we can't just rely on a larger power to kind of regulate this, too. And I think even before technology or companies that deal with technology, it has to start with us. Like if we start taking a stance against these things or against these apps from coming out or stop using them or stop publicizing them, then they don't get as much attention. They don't get as widely spread and then they don't fall into the wrong hands either. So I think a lot of the onus is on us as well, us users. So Because mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's something that really you know, for the time being, at least, that's going to be a lot of the solutions are just the way that people interact and use this technology. Um, and, you know, us as students, a lot of our life is lived digitally, and I think that really does have an impact on campus life, the way that the Internet interconnects us or, or not, or separates us. Um, so I think a lot of people on campus, I would assume, are, are worried about their own cybersecurity. It's constantly when you apply for a job, you even, you know, do I have to delete everything on my Facebook? Yeah. Is it still out there? What are they going to think of it? That's just something that people are always worrying about these days. And so when you introduce the possibility of stolen identities um, into there, it, it really does make things kind of scary when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, no, totally. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, like these bigger issues are being brought about, but stealing identities can happen on a very small scale too it's probably easier to get away with it on a smaller scale because there's not as many people there to pick it apart. So we have to be wary about that as well. Like, it can affect us. It can't, like, my identity can eventually probably be stolen. Like, it, we see it happening with, like, credit cards and all that all the time. Now it can actually happen with your own face, and that's, like, pretty terrifying. Yeah, and I mean, going from that, like, as individuals, like, how active are you guys on social media um, and technological applications in general? Do you feel protected when you use them? Or do you feel like you're just not really, there's no regulation, there's nothing protecting you on Facebook and other things like that? Um, I think, uh, especially in regards to the apps on my phone, uh, you know, the big three, like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I think I've sort of just resigned myself to not, being secure so it's not like I feel this sense of paranoia all the time when I'm using these apps and these networks but it's more just like 
an awareness that like uh, nothing I say on these platforms or like nothing that I store on these platforms is really going to ever be secure. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you could call that digital nihilism, but that's that's what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a fair response in this climate. I mean, you know. Maybe, I don't know if anybody ever trusted Facebook, but I mean, a lot of people have been using it for a long time. And then, of course, there was that scandal where it was revealed that a lot of the information that you put on Facebook had been mm-hmm. sold. Um, and, you know, all of these, you know, places that we store information online are inherently not secure or are, you know, we agree to having that information shared, at least for commercial reasons and potentially other reasons. But it's really it's out there and it's being trafficked in a lot of ways. So it's something that I think we have to be increasingly mindful of. Do you think there's anything that we can do or governments can do to make that better? Um, I mean, the first thing that we can start by doing is that we can start by being a little bit more conscious of this kind of stuff that's happening. I know I use Facebook and Instagram, and I'm not like a crazy avid user. I'm not on it all the time, but I don't think about privacy issues at all. Like, it doesn't cross my mind when I'm using it. I'll go on these private groups and I don't post anything myself, but I see other people posting very private information and they think that, okay, because it's a closed off group, because it's private, this will never go out to family and friends. It'll never be released. But the fact of the matter is, like, if you post it somewhere, it has potential to be released. It can get back to somebody else. So I think the first thing we can start by doing is just being a little bit more aware that what we post online, what we do online is being monitored and can potentially come back to harm us. And that being said, I don't think that means let's stop using social media or let's stop posting our pictures, but we definitely got to be a little bit more conscious of what we're putting out there and not only about ourselves, but what we're putting out there about other people because it can come back and hurt them as well. So that's where it needs to start with us. And then I guess the next scale up would be social media companies like Facebook, like Twitter, you know, stop messing up, stop sharing our stuff to the wrong people. Like those privacy settings can definitely up their game as well. And I think uh, it's also important for everyone to distinguish the difference between the different levels of information theft occurring uh, on these networks. Um, I think when you talk about like information not being safe, a lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion that like that all that shit you talked about your aunt Greta last week is gonna somehow make it back to her. But that's uh, not really the kind of information being trafficked, mm. and it's more so just being aware of I would say your behavior patterns on this app. Those are the things that companies are selling. Um, it's a different matter if, like, you know, someone who has, like, it personally out for you, like, somehow manages to hack into your Facebook and, like, post all your messages for the That's world true. to see. Yeah. But, like, the th- the information theft being committed by companies and corporations is on a much more microscopic scale. And uh, those are the things that I think the public needs to be very aware about. And uh, that's kind of the thing that's made me sort of resign to it because, like... You know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't really care if I get more skewed ads targeted towards me. It makes it easier for me to buy stuff I like anyway. <laughs> so, 
And you, you say microscopic in the sense like each individual thing is something that you're going to find. You won't notice that, but they keep doing it and it just becomes such a huge thing. That exactly. They have a whole pattern. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with tracking cookies, even like from Facebook and other things, I think, you know, a lot of you go on Amazon and then you go on Facebook and yeah. you got an ad for something you looked at on Amazon. Exactly. Instantly. It knows what you've been doing just on the web. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you know, like. In the big picture, I'm just a drop in the pond. Like, I'm one of millions, billions of users. Like, no company, no matter how big or corrupted or rich, is going to have the time or energy to dedicate to investigating me as an individual. So I really think it's just people need to be aware of the role they play in terms of, like, being a pattern. Yeah. But does it worry you that they could investigate you as an individual if they <laughs> wanted to, if it ever came up? I think if I were a public figure or, like, any sort of person of importance in the public, that would definitely be something I'd be more worried about. Yeah. Well, you could become a crazy... Thanks, Melissa. ...popular figure. One can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, you know, we did mention it earlier with things like deep fakes, and these mm -hmm. technologies, definitely, we can see they affect celebrities. There's a lot more information being trafficked about them. So, yeah, I can only imagine, like... If you're famous, yeah, watch out. You probably, yeah. probably got to invest in your <laughs> yeah. security a bit more. But yeah, it is something that's disconcerting. Um, you know, looking at what corporations are doing as well as just the potential for, you know, bad intentions of just individuals is one thing. But yeah, looking at it as a sort of a macro picture of the sort of information that's out there. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peak Speaks podcast, produced by The Peak, SFU student-run newspaper, in collaboration with CGSF 90.1 FM, the campus radio station of SFU. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 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 Peak Speaks. <laughs>